Well, as I said, we're going to look together at the truth of God's Word as it is summarized in Lord's Day 32. You can find that on page 44 in the back of your Psalter hymnal. But first, I'd like to read with you from Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 3 through 14 of Colossians 1. Now, this is a section that fits Peter's warning when he says that there are some things that Paul has written which are difficult. This is a very dense passage. It says an awful lot in a very short time. But pay attention to what it says, particularly concerning how God is at work in the midst of those whom He has called. Listen. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you. The gospel has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness And conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Now, summarizing what that passage and many others say about the work of God within His people, Lord's Day 32 begins talking to us about our gratitude. Our response to the salvation that God has given us. Kids, you'll remember the catechism has three sections. Sin, salvation, service. Or guilt, grace, gratitude. Talks first about our need because of our sin. Then how God delivers us in Christ from our sin and its consequences. And then finally, how we are to serve God out of gratitude for the salvation we've received. Well, this Lord's Day starts that. Asking, we have been delivered from our misery by God's grace alone through Christ and not through Christ and not because we have earned it. Why then must we still do good? And that's the question. Why then must we still do good? To be sure, Christ has redeemed us by His blood. But we do good because Christ by His Spirit is also renewing us to be like Himself. So that in all our living, we may show that we are thankful to God for all He has done for us, and so that He may be praised through us. And we do good, so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and so that by our godly living, our neighbors may be won over to Christ. Well, then can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent ways? By no means. 
Scripture tells us that no unchaste person, no idolater, adulterer, thief, no covetous person, no drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like is going to inherit the kingdom of God. Amen. Brothers and sisters, graciously called by our Lord. Back when I worked as a a newspaper reporter, I covered a, a beat, a particular area along the Ohio River, covering about five communities. And in one of those towns that I covered, the police chief suddenly and rather unexpectedly came into a a lot of money. Like he went from being relatively poor to suddenly having a few million dollars. And quite a few people urged him to just quit. After all, he, he didn't need to work anymore. He was a single man. He was in his 50s. His expenses were not high. So there was no need for him to wait for Social Security to to kick in. No need for him to continue uh, toiling every day. And furthermore, the town that he worked for was exceptionally political and not in a good sense. And so the, the things that he had to deal with in the workplace were often quite unpleasant, not even counting the criminal element. But the chief kept working. He didn't need to work, but he didn't put in any less hours or any less effort than before he had the money. One day I visited with Ed at his home. It was the day after a particularly contentious town council meeting. And I asked him, Ed, why haven't you quit? And he looked at me and he said, because this is what I was made to do. You see, Ed recognized that we work not simply because we need to put food on our plate and a roof over our heads. We work because that's what we were made to do. And he delighted to use his, his talents and his time to serve others. The paycheck was nice. For most of his life it was necessary. But for Ed... Work was God's purpose for man. And that is a big part of what Lord's Day 32 tells us. By the time of the Reformation, the church in its doctrine had been deeply deformed, had grown quite corrupt, so that people had begun to believe that they were at least partly responsible for earning their way into God's favor. They had to pay part of the penalty for their sins. They had to merit Part of their righteousness. Jesus was involved in all this, but they too had to do their part to earn their righteousness before God. They needed to do work, to do righteous deeds in order to please God and to satisfy Him. That's what they believed. But then the Reformation came along and did a radical thing. They put God's Word back in people's hands. And reading that Word, it became clear to them that salvation rests entirely and only in Christ. He does everything. There's nothing left for us to earn or accomplish in the sight of God. And so, some people began to ask the question that they asked in the age of the apostles. Well then, why must we do anything? If Jesus has done everything we need, why do I have to bother? Why do I have to change? Why do I have to worry about it? Lord's Day 32 was written in answer to that question. And it shows us that while it is true that our good works can earn us nothing in the sight of God, those good works are still necessary 
Because they were they are what we were made to do. Our forefathers provided four reasons in this Lord's Day as to why we must respond to Christ and His salvation with good works. Afterward, next week, they began showing us how that should look in our lives. How that should affect our daily life. And even how to recognize works that are truly good. But today they focus on the why question. And it brings forth the theme that Christ's gracious redemption bears the fruit of renewed lives. Christ's gracious election bears the fruit of renewed lives. But before we consider the specific kind of fruit that redemption should bear, I want to just talk to you a minute about the the structure, the form that we find in Lord's Day 32. Because we see the purpose of the lesson here in its outline. The first part of the first answer shows us how we are able to do good. Christ has redeemed us by His blood, and then He sent His Spirit to renew us. He loved us enough not to leave us in our sin. And the rest of that question and answer explains why He's renewing us, why He wants us to respond to what He has done. And in doing so, it gives us four reasons for the good that we're to do. Four reasons for our righteous acts. And then finally, in Lord's Day, or in question 87 and its answer, it shows us how necessary this is. Quoting 1 Corinthians 6, Verses 9 and 10, it shows us that those who continue in their sin, well, really they're revealing that the Holy Spirit is not at work within them. And that therefore they're not redeemed, and so they have no part in the kingdom. So it's absolutely essential that we who have been saved so graciously, we who have been saved so freely, must demonstrate the fruit that the Holy Spirit always brings. And the first fruit of Christ's redemption in us is the essential fruit of gratitude. Now, listing gratitude as the first fruit, the first response that we should expect is proper. I mean, think about your response if you were given an unbelievably great gift. Young men, if if somebody gave you the truck or the car that you've just been dreaming of, the one that you think is just perfect, or, or young ladies, what if someone gave you a horse along with a barn and free food for life? Or adults, what if somebody came up to you and they gave you the guarantee of free tuition for your children all the way through college? Or maybe that perfect house in the country for which you have been saving for years. If you received that most generous gift possible, no strings attached, just because somebody wanted to show that kind of love to you, would you shrug? Say a few polite things and then get back to what you were doing? Of course not. Any response short of absolute, overjoyed, amazed gratitude would be unthinkable, wouldn't it? In the face of such gifts, you would be overwhelmed. You would make a massive effort to show your thanks. Well, consider what God has given you. You were under a debt that was so great that you had no hope of ever paying it. A debt to God's justice because of your sin. And not only were you under a debt, 
But you were unable to work toward the payment of that debt because you were spiritually dead. You were cut off from God. There was no way you could do anything truly good in God's sight, nor did you even want to. You hated Him. You didn't even realize how much of a mess you were. But God sent His Son to pay the unthinkably high price of that debt. And then He sent His Spirit to soften your heart and let you know how much of a mess you were in. And then He sent the Word to reveal what He had done and to work faith in your heart. And then He sent His Holy Spirit again to to begin renewing you and strengthening you in Christ, transforming you from the mess you were into the holy saint He would have you become. That's what He's done for you. Now, can you even understand the smallest part of that and believe it and not recognize that you have been given the greatest gift that man could ever know? A gift greater than all the treasures of this world, all the honor of mankind. We cannot not show gratitude to our God. We heard Paul's prayer in verse 12 of our passage that that God's people would, would be giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. It should be our joy. If we understand what we have become heirs of, that God has in, intended to make us His children. He's made us His children. And we will inherit not just the world as we know it, but the world as it shall be when it's been perfected. Becoming able to use all our gifts with their absolute utmost perfection that they'll have at that time. In order to serve God eternally without end, knowing the one who made us the way he knows us as much as creatures possibly can. That's the gift he's given us. And Paul says, I long to to see you giving thanks for that gift. Which means, not just giving polite thanks, writing a little card. No, no, no. Recognizing the fullness of what He's given us and responding appropriately. We have to show thanks to our Heavenly Father. He's the one who determined to do this before time began. He knew every sin you would commit. He knew how foolish every one of us would be. He absolutely understood... The dumb moves, the the hurtful things, the wicked ways that we would walk. And He chose to love us anyway. And Jesus. Think about the unspeakable suffering that Jesus endured. It wasn't merely on the cross. We talked in catechism this this morning about the, the depth of the suffering that Jesus endured on the cross. And a bit before that we see in the Lord's Supper. When that bread is torn apart... In the Lord's Supper, crumbs falling from it, the beautiful loaf shattered. As we see the the wine poured out and splashing in the chalice, like His blood poured out and splashed upon the dusty ground. You think about what Jesus endured, and not just that, He endured seeing the day turn to night and crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Something that God the Son could hardly comprehend. And He did it for us that we might be delivered. And now today, as Psalm 47 said, He reigns from heaven on our behalf for our good. If you know that, how can you not live and breathe gratitude for your Savior? Gratitude for the triune God is the essential fruit of the Christian life. What's that look like? How do we show it? Well, since He has brought us into the kingdom, 
surely we should put off everything which is abhorrent to, everything which is ugly in the sight of the kingdom. That's why our catechism says, no unchaste person, no idolater, adulterer, thief, no covetous person, no drunkard, slanderer, robber, is or the like. See, those are sins that are incompatible with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God... Well, it comprises those people who serve God as their king, who seek to, to please Him and delight Him and reflect Him. So everything that, that tarnishes that reflection of God, we need to put off. That's our grat- gratitude. That's our thankful work. Rooting out from our lives that which defaces the image of God with, within us and cultivating that which reflects Him. That's the first fruit, the essential fruit of Christian gratitude. And the second fruit that redemption bears is the exalted fruit of divine glorification. Man's original purpose from the start was to glorify and serve God. Scripture testifies to that throughout, doesn't it? But sin corrupted us. It made us unable to fulfill that calling. From our earliest moments, we've been filled with the impulse to sin. Our very best deeds have been tainted with sin. But Christ, when He came to redeem us, He didn't just forgive us for all of that ugly stuff we've done. He came to transform us so that we would begin to again be able to glorify God. Not yet perfectly. That day's still coming. But Christ, Christ has delivered us, says the Apostle, verse 13, from the power of darkness. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. That means we have the option to no longer serve Satan. We have the option to turn away from sin. We have the ability, the power, the victory within us through Christ to turn away from those things which are hateful to God and which defame Him rather than glorify Him. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that we must. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? So we have the Spirit. We have the power to change. And you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. When Jesus died for us, He bought us back from the kingdom of darkness. He brought us into the kingdom of light. That means we owe everything to Him. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. That's our calling, that's our purpose, that's why we exist. And so the Catechism, it's urging us, as Paul urged us in Colossians 1, to embrace mankind's true purpose. That is, the purpose of serving God, the purpose of telling others about God, the purpose of showing God. What's that look like in your life? Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches and my father is the vine dresser. And he says he wants us to bear fruit. Of a grapevine are that which bear fruit. The vine supplies the branches. That's Jesus. He supplies us with all that we need to bear fruit. That means He gives us the Holy Spirit so that we have the power. He gives us His Word so that we know what to do. He gives us the gifts by which we can serve Him. He gives us the opportunities, the, the opportunities to serve the people before us whom we are to love, the situations in which we are to minister. Now, the gifts that we've been given are in, entirely different for each of us. 
So the ways in which we can serve, the ways in which we can glorify are going to vary from person to person to person. But every single one of us is called to bear fruit. He also tells us in John 15 that the Father being the vine dresser, the branches that don't bear fruit, He cuts off. Because they're dead. That's the people in the church who aren't serving the Lord, who aren't seeking to glorify God. They're, they're not bearing fruit. That means they don't have life in them. Because you see, a branch that has life in it, it can't help but bear fruit. And a Christian who has the Holy Spirit in him, he can't help but glorify God. But those who are bearing fruit, he prunes. Ask Jaron about that sometime. You prune to get rid of the stuff that's a distraction to the branch. The parts that are taking energy without giving forth fruit. Pruning hurts. It causes scars. It removes living tissue. But the branch is stronger for it. It's able to bear bigger and better fruit because of it. The pruning in our lives can be hard. It might mean turning away from those people who are a bad influence. It might mean working hard to to build our marriage when we've been neglecting it. It might mean not getting so much recognition at work so that we have more time to serve or more time to spend with our children. It might mean putting off that passion, that hobby that is distracting us from serving the Lord the way that we should. But that pruning will allow us to bear better fruit. And what that fruit looks like, whether it's serving at the well or or at Pathways, or at Bibles for Missions, or in some less formal way, like writing notes of encouragement to our college students, or going and visiting with the shut-ins of our congregation who don't often see people, and who desperately need someone to just show them that they care. Or maybe meeting with that neighbor who seldom gets out and seems kind of hard but who needs someone to show them Christ's love. There's a million and one ways in which God could be glorified through our service. And that's the goal, that we glorify God by showing others who He is, by allowing them to encounter Him in us. And as we do that, we bring forth a third kind of fruit. Not only are we, are we showing gratitude and glorifying God, but as we do that, we're bringing forth the energizing fruit of assured faith. Because our faith can be weak or it can be strong. But if it's to be strong, that strengthening must come from God. It's a fruit of the, the redemption we have. Now just to be clear, faith is knowledge and belief and trust. And that faith, it joins us to Christ. It's produced by the Holy Spirit and it unites us to Christ through the promises of His Word. Faith is essential. Without it, we can't be saved. And one of the the primary ways in which the Holy Spirit strengthens our faith within us is by showing the evidence of faith within us. Let me explain that a minute. Say you were ill. You had the whole gamut. Fever, cough, sore joints, headache, vomiting, the works. You're miserable. Finally, you go to the doctor. And the doctor runs some tests and he says, I got it. I know exactly what it is. And I hate to tell you this. It's curable, but it's going to be a while. I got some medicine. It works 98% of the time. 
But it's still going to be about a month before you're finally back on your feet, before all the symptoms are gone. But I'll tell you what, that medicine, it's going to take care of the headache right away. And the upset stomach should go away pretty quick after that. But then it's going to be a little while, probably a month, before you're back to 100%. Well, you'd be discouraged, wouldn't you? You'd be discouraged to have gone to the doctor and to take some medicine and you're still feeling kind of rotten. But the next morning you wake up without that headache you've had for three weeks. And that's going to give you a little boost, isn't it? And two or three days later, suddenly you're not queasy and you can start eating again. And you're going to feel even better. And you're going to know the medicine's working just like the doctor said it would. And even though my joints still hurt and I still feel bleh, there's a light at the end of the tunnel because you see that the medicine is working, right? We still struggle with sin, every one of us. Whether you've just been walking with the Lord for, for a few days or for a few decades. The longer we walk with Him, the more clearly we see our sins. And sometimes the more they offend us and bring us low. But as the Holy Spirit brings forth fruit in us, what do I mean by that? As we help our neighbor going out of our way to meet their needs, or as we recognize the sins within us and we work to put those sins off, as we put structures in place in our lives so that we're held accountable, so that we can truly break that, the hold of that sin on us, as we resolve to spend time in God's Word and we actually do it, reading a chapter or two out of the Bible every day, spending some time with the Lord in prayer. When we see these things happening, brothers and sisters, we know that we're not doing that on our own. We can't do it. We won't do it. A man without the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within him will not spend any time in God's Word unless somebody else is watching and giving him credit for it. A person will not spend secret time alone with the Lord in prayer unless God is working that in him or he thinks somebody else notices and will give him credit for it. You see the pattern there. If, if a person doesn't have the Holy Spirit within him, the only reason he's going to do the sanctified works that we're called to do is if he thinks there's something in it for him. But if you know there's nothing in it for you, you shovel the neighbor's walk after the snowstorm, even though it happens to be 10 o'clock at night and nobody's going to see you do it. But you do it because you love your neighbor and you just want to help him out. You go and apologize to that person who offended you because you know that you also offended them. Even though you think their offense against you is greater, you decide you're going to take the first step because, you know, you've been forgiven of so much. You start seeing those things and it brings forth that fruit. Of assurance. This is the Holy Spirit within you. Paul said that the gospel has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. The gospel always brings forth fruit. Look at verses 10 and 11 from our scripture reading. It brings forth good works. And a growth in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all might and being patient and joyful. These are, are common denominators of the evidence that we see from the Holy Spirit. Second Peter 1 lists a, a variety of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
to faith is added goodness, and then knowledge, and then self-control. Perseverance leads on to godliness, and brotherly kindness on to love. And Peter urges us to strive after these fruits, to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. In other words, as we begin gaining these sanctifying graces within us, we can see that the Holy Spirit is at work within us. And if He's at work within us, then we must truly be God's people. And that strengthens our faith. It renews our devotion. It fills us with gratitude. But what if you don't see that? What if you don't see that evidence of the Holy Spirit within you? What if you don't see an inherent love for God, a desire to study His Word, a love for your neighbor? Well, then pray. Ask God to reveal His work within you. Ask Him to demonstrate the power of God at work to change your life. And then having prayed, believe that He will hear you. Believe that He will do what you've asked. And go read the Bible. And go love your neighbor. And study your life and see what sins there are and seek to put them off. And you'll begin seeing those fruits. You'll begin gaining that assurance. And that will lead to the last fruit. The enabling fruit of a living witness. Listen, before he ascended to the right hand of his father, Jesus gave his church an assignment. He didn't just give it to the apostles. He didn't just give it to the ministers of the church. To the whole church, he said, disciple all the nations. Do that by baptizing them. That is, bringing them into the covenant community. And by teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. In other words, making them to be his disciples. This assignment calls us to fulfill the promise spoken first to Abraham and then throughout the Old Testament. The promise that God will bless all the nations and every tribe through Abraham's offspring. The promise that Israel's blessing will become the blessing of every land. question is how? In what way is the church to spread the gospel? Well, that... We could answer that question over the course of several hours, but here's the key to the answer. We cannot gather in and disciple the nations by sending money to other folks. We cannot gather in and disciple the nations by contracting with some organization Or establishing some well-known program. We gather in and disciple the nations. One person at a time. One person, one family at a time. By showing them the love of God. By drawing them into the church where they hear the word of God. And by walking alongside of them as they come to know the Lord personally. It's a personal effort. Look at what we saw in Colossians 1. They were brought to this glorious gospel by one man. The whole church. By one man. Epaphras. He came to them. He lived among them. He loved them. He showed them the gospel. And as a faithful minister, he preached the gospel to them. The Holy Spirit used that to put faith in them and to begin growing that work within them. And then they began to go out. They began to talk to others, to love others, to show others the the truth of Christ. And they began bearing that fruit of a living witness. 
Jesus said we will bear this kind of fruit if we belong to Him. Matthew 25. He says on that last great day, He will gather all the people before Him and He will separate them, the the sheep on one hand and the goats on the other, those who belong to Him and those who rejected Him. And to those who belong to Him, He said, Enter into the glory of your Father's kingdom because I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was weak and you ministered to me. I was in prison and you visited me. And they said, when did we do that? And he said, when you did it to one of the least of these. When we serve those whom he sets in front of us, we're serving Christ and we're giving them a witness of what the love and the faithfulness of Christ is like. In Matthew 5, you've heard this passage plenty of times. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That doesn't mean do works in front of people so that they'll pat you on the back. No, no, no. It means so love your neighbor. That in you they see Christ. So treat your neighbor. When he offends you, forgive him. When he speaks harshly to him, speak gently back. When he gossips to you, refuse to listen. But do tell him that you love him, that you care about him. When he's in need, go help him without being asked. And when he's grieving, give him a hug. When we do that, we shine the light of Christ. And they want to know why we're so weird. Why we're so different. And then we get to give them the reason for the hope that's within us, the the gospel. And we invite them. And maybe they don't come. Maybe they go with somebody else to some other church. Or maybe, maybe they do come. And they hear the gospel. They hear precisely what they need to hear. And they, too, become a living light. That is how the nations are discipled, brothers and sisters. And don't say, well, if I bring them here, they won't get it. Of course they won't. We're speaking a foreign language to them. It'll sound absolutely bizarre to them. It should. They're members of the the kingdom of darkness. That's why they need somebody who's a member of the kingdom of light next to them explaining it. Helping them to understand, helping them to grasp, helping them to see the beauty of the glory of worshiping our Lord. Brothers and sisters, this fruit, all of it, will grow from the branches who are attached to the vine. And that's you. But it doesn't grow without effort. And it never grows without prayer. So if you have been joined to Christ, then make it your prayer that you and that we would bring forth this fruit of renewed lives. And then believing that God has heard your prayer, go out and look for the opportunities that He has given. And God will be glorified through us. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, You have been so great and so gracious to us beyond anything we could deserve. Father, we pray that You would use us to bring glory and honor to You. 
that you would see in us gratitude for the amazing gifts you have given. That you would strengthen our faith through the works that you empower within us. And that through us, the world might behold the salvation that Jesus has earned. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name and unto your glory. Amen.